0: This morning, we are starting a new sermon series um, uh, called God Who Provides. Uh, we're going to be looking at several uh, scriptures um, as we talk about money. Uh, yes, we are going to talk about money for the next several weeks. Um, so uh, we want to talk about it for several reasons. Uh, we want to challenge ourselves to see uh, how we can understand uh, what God is saying to us about money. Um, the reason we do this is um, is uh, if you read the gospels uh, if you read the gospels the one topic jesus talks about more than anything else is money so i want to invite us uh, to listen to this conversation about money Uh, and if you don't call mount hope your home uh, please um, understand please we ask you that you would be uh, that you would listen to what uh, we're talking about money uh, and don't feel obligated to give uh, to this church if you don't call Mount Hope, your home. The second reason we talk about money um, is uh, so that we can have a clear understanding uh, as to how we view money. We give to God as a token of our gratitude for all that God has given us. All through the Bible, uh, we read that we are required to give 10% of our earnings to God. And I know some of us are not in a place where we can give 10%. Uh, And maybe some of us are in a place where we can give more than 10%. But we give to God in response to all that God has given us. That is the foundation of why we give. Friends, Kristen and I give uh, to this church. Um, The reason we give is because we look at our lives and we say we cannot believe how much God has blessed us. That God has poured out his blessings on us And our offering each Sunday to this church is an expression of gratitude. That is the reason we give and we want you to understand that. And finally, we give, we talk about money It's because Mount Hope, um, you depend on Mount Hope for the worship, the fellowship, caring for those who are in need, both in this community and outside these walls as well. And in order for Mount Hope to function uh, uh, and provide for these ministries, money, your sacrificial generosity is essential. Please know that this conversation about money is not to manipulate any one of you. <laughs> to give out of a sense of obligation. That's something that you, you know, the pastor is making me feel bad. So I'm going to throw in a 10 bucks today, right? Like that is not where I want us to end. <laughs> a God loves a cheerful giver. Give the smile on your face. Give, saying, I get to do this. I get to respond to God's call in my life. I'm so glad I am able to give. Because what God has given me. Let us pray. God, we ask that you would be with us today. That your word would come alive in our lives. A God who provides may maybe confidently say that in our lives. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. Can you all say that? Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. Our oldest son's name is Elijah. He came to us through adoption. Uh, and we had like a bunch of names. I don't know, most parents do this. Uh, we had like four or five names. If it was a boy, we had four or five names. If it was a girl, and when we got the call that, um, that we were picked, uh, and we said, we're going to name this boy Elijah, right? So when he came home, we brought him home, and um, we were introducing him to his grandparents. And my father-in-law looked at him, and he goes, Elijah the Tishbite. All right. can, y'all can say that. Elijah the Tishbite. All right. And Samira, when she was younger, she uh, thought that was his actual name. So she started calling him Tishbite. <laughs> Elijah the Tishbite. That, that name stuck with him. And actually, when he was three or four years old, if you asked him what his last name was, he would have said Tishbite. <laughs> Elijah the Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. My father-in-law still calls him Tish, Tishbite. Uh, He was at the soccer game yesterday, and he was screaming, come on, Tish, let's do this. All right, Elijah the Tishbite. If you all are wondering why the heck my father-in-law is calling my son Elijah Tishbite, you all need to read 1 Kings 17. This is how it opens. This is what we read, 1 Kings 17. Elijah the Tishbite. Can you all say that? Tishbite. Elijah the Tishbite. It is in the Bible. Said to Ahab, as the Lord God lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. As the Lord God lives, there will not be dew or rain for the next few years. This is what he is saying to Ahab, that there's going to be a drought in the land and no one. Is going to get any rain. There's going to be a drought in the land. So who is Ahab? Who is this King Ahab? So we need to ask that question. Who is he talking to? Who is this guy named Ahab? What is his resume? What does he look like? What does he do? So this is what we read in 1 Kings 16 um, about Ahab. In the 38th year of King Esau, the king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began his reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were ever before him. And it had, I love this verse 31. And as if it had been light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. As if it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. He took for him his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ital. And went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which we built in Samaria. And Ahab was an evil king. He did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This dude Ahab is evil. This is not a nice guy. Jeroboam was one of the worst kings ever. If you read about Jeroboam, you're like, oh my goodness, how is he a king? And the author of First King says, he was much worse than the worst guy we ever had. That is who Ahab is. Ahab is an evil person. He's an evil guy. He literally... Lifted an altar for Baal. You're not supposed to worship idols. But this guy not just worshipped it. He actually built an altar for Baal. This guy is not good news for the people of Israel. This guy is bad. And now Elijah is supposed to go before him. And tell him some really bad news. That there's going to be a drought in the land. And because there's going to be a drought in the land, that means a lot of people are going to be without food. That means a lot of people are going to suffer under this king's leadership. See, there are two kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. Prophets are not fortune tellers. They were not telling what the future is. But rather what the prophets were supposed to do is they were supposed to tell us how God's reign is supposed to look like. This is how God desires for us to live, is what the prophet was supposed to communicate, not tell the future. This is how it was supposed to be lived out. And there were two kinds of prophets in the Old Testament. One is a true prophet and one is a false prophet. So the true prophet is the one who listens to what God tells him and he declares what God tells him. And then it comes true. Hence the true prophet. But a false prophet is one who says, hey, this is what's going to happen. And it doesn't come true. That's a false prophet. That, that was the litmus test. Did it come true or not? And then if you're a false prophet, not only you lost your credibility for speaking on behalf of God, sometimes you were actually stoned to death. So Elijah kind of finds himself in a quand- uh, in this place, right? Like where he can't figure out what to do. Because if he goes and tells there's going to be famine for the next few years to an evil king, the king might get mad and kill him. Right? Does he trust God to do this? Or if it doesn't come true, the people around him are going to stone him to death. Does Elijah trust God in this moment? And friends, Elijah does trust God. He goes to the king and he declares... That there is going to be a famine. He tells him there's going to be a famine. People are going to suffer. You are going to suffer. And this is is how God is punishing you, King Ahab. Is what Elijah tells him. And this would, so after he tells that, this is what God tells Elijah to do. Verse 2. And the word of the Lord came to him. Right? Like he goes and declares this in front of Ahab. And this is what God tells him to do next. The word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here, turn eastward, and hide yourself by the brook, which is east to the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. See, the story gets much difficult for Elijah. When he goes and confronts the king, Elijah is told to run eastward and hide. He was supposed to camp outside by a brook so that he can save his life. Run away from the city and go away so the king cannot kill you. You need to run for your life. Sometimes when we do trust God and we do the right thing, I think we sometimes find ourselves in more trouble than we started. But when we obey God, we might face more challenges. And that's okay. Because God is still there with us. God is still there with us in the midst of our troubles. So Elijah starts living by the brook or the creek. And ravens bring him food and meat every day. And he's able to nourish his body. The God who called Elijah to speak against the king is now providing for him. Through the birds of the sky. This sounds strange and bizarre. And how could this be? But that is the God we worship. The God we worship is the God who provides for us. God was using birds of the air to care for Elijah. The God we worship, friends, is the one who provides for us. When we are obedient to God, God takes care of our needs. We don't know how long he stayed in this place, but eventually the brook dries up. And he is told to, he's given another command, and that was what was read this morning. Elijah is told to go to a place called Zephthah. And there is a widow that is living in that place, and she will take care of you. The challenge here is, right, first Elijah trusted God to care for him, lived by the brook, camping outdoors. The birds gave him food. And now God is asking him to go hang out with a widow. To care for him. This seems. Really difficult to do. Me personally speaking. For myself. All right, I'm going to repeat that. Me personally speaking for myself. Samira has been talking like this lately. I don't know if all the cool kids are doing it or not. But anyway. Me personally speaking for myself. Like that is how. If she wants hers to hear her voice. She kind of puts all these words together, me personally speaking for myself, right, me personally speaking for myself, I think I would have trusted the birds of the air to provide food for me rather than a widow. The reason being is widows don't have a lot of money. In the Bible, whenever the the term widow is used, they are most likely people who don't own any property They are without a lot of resources. Actually, the community around them is supposed to care for the widows and the orphans in the land. I would much rather trust the birds rather than a widow, right? That is what I would do, me personally speaking for myself. But here we are. God tells Elijah, go hang out by a widow and I will take care of you. And this is what we read. Elijah uh, gets there gets to the widow's house, and this is what he tells her. And he called her and said, bring me a water in a vessel that I may drink. That makes sense. The brook dried up. He had a long journey to go to. He finally got to the thing. I'm sure he's thirsty, right? And he called her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink, right? And then he adds this. And as she was going to bring it, He called her and said, like, literally, he goes to her house, says, can you bring me some water? And she's walking away from him. She's literally walking away from him. And he says, oh, by the way, let me ask you something else. I think Elijah is a little embarrassed to say what he's going to say next. Right? Have you ever had those conversations you really don't want to have? And as people are walking away, can can I tell you something? Right? Like that, That awkwardness, right? And that's where I think Elijah is right now. He's not even sure he can actually look in her face and say what he's going to say next. And he says this, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. A handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jack. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat and die. Hear the despair in this widow's voice. Hear the hopelessness that surrounds this widow. Hear these words. This widow is not only caring for herself, but now she has a son. And she tells Elijah, I'm not sure... What you're asking me to do? We will eat this last meal and we will die. This is a mother's heart. I want you to see it from a mother's heart. Kristen and I led a poverty simulation seminar um, to an intergenerational group. Um, as we led through this, uh, we kind of like did this exercises and different things and. And then we kind of had everyone come together after the simulation was done. um, And we kind of asked to debrief with us. Tell us what you were thinking, how you were feeling. And I remember uh, Marianne, who was sitting there in tears, saying how difficult it was for her. She said, I could not provide a bowl of rice for my daughter. During this exercise. And I saw my daughter looking at me. She gave me that look do something. Her daughter was eight years old at that time. She gave me that look, Mom, do something. And I know in less than an hour, I can take her to a drive through and get her what she wants to eat. But in that moment, I saw that look in her eyes and I could not do anything and she was in tears and she said that moment felt like an eternity to me and I could not stand it hear the mom's plight friends hear this widow's plight Elijah tells her get me something to eat what is this widow supposed to do with the little that she has, does she care for her son or does she give it to the prophet? Elijah actually makes a bigger to me. And he says, Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. First make a little cake and bring it to me. First make a little cake and bring it to me first. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel. Can this mom trust this prophet's words? Can this mom trust the words of this prophet who actually seems a little selfish? One would argue the prophet was actually supposed to care for the widows and the orphans in the land and not demand from a widow who's on the brink of hopelessness and demise. Can this widow trust the words of the prophet? I guess there is some precedence to what Elijah is saying to this widow. When we read the Bible, we are told over and over again that we are called to give our first fruits to God. We're supposed to give the first fruits that God gives us, a 10% of that to God first and then enjoy and live on the 90 that remains within our hands. And this widow had a choice to make. Does she trust God? She did. She did make something for the prophet. And then a miracle happened. She never ran out of flour. She never ran out of oil. During the entire time that Israel was experiencing famine, she, God, provided for her. God continued to provide for her. She was able to feed the prophet and her family. Friends, this is the truth that so many I spoke to share. When we give, when we trust God and give, just like the widow did, God always provided for us. The question is, can you trust God with your resources? Many times we can look at our resources that we have and we can have two attitudes. We can say what we have is not enough. or we can say God will provide for us. I want to share this with you. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And this is exactly what happened in this story. When this widow trusted that God would provide for her, that she would trust the man of God, later her son falls sick and he stops breathing. There is no life left in him. And Elijah prays and his son's life is restored. You cannot outgive God. God provided for this woman again. And this is what she says at the end. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are the man of God. And the word of the Lord is in your mouth is true. This woman declared that she believes in God. She believes in God's providing for her. In the midst of all the challenging times, she believed it. Friends, this morning, I want to ask you. I want to ask you, do you trust God with all that God has given you? All that God has provided for you. Just imagine for a second how the story would have ended if the widow did not trust God. Did not give first to God. I'm sorry, Elijah, I cannot give you food. I'm going to eat this with my son and die. Friends, when we trust God, when we trust God with our finances, we experience life in a new way. The challenge for us is, are you willing to trust God? This morning, I want to invite Nicole Bascalia to come and speak uh, to us about her generosity in this church and what uh, she has learned.
1: Good morning. So, what's the value of a dollar? If you ask a college student, we will probably tell you that $1 gets us nothing, $10 can get us some Chick-fil-A, and a couple tens of thousands of dollars can get us our education. But what truly defines the value of a dollar? If you ask me, I would say the value of a dollar depends on what you spend it on. Obviously, the dollars I spend at Chick-fil-A are arguably not as important as the dollars I spend on my education, but when I think about it, the most valuable dollars I have ever spent are right here in this church. Growing up, I always watched my parents place money in the offering plate in their little envelopes. And I went through the confirmation process and got my own envelopes as well. At first I gave back just because I thought I had to, but now I give back because I genuinely want to. It is important to realize just how much a donation can do. For me and many of the other youth at this church, donations gave us a home during the pandemic. When the world was closed, donations allowed us to go to youth group praise and spend time with our friends. It was what kept me going when nothing else in the world seemed hopeful. Those same donations allowed for us to go on a missions trip where we not only grew ourselves, but we blessed others. These donations are so much bigger than the walls of this church because they are donations for God and his work as a whole. Now, I know what you're thinking, there's so many other things to spend your money on, so why should you spend it on this? The idea here is that you don't have to make donation an ultimatum. You do not have to give all or nothing. When I started offering, I was a pretty broke high school student who could only chip in a dollar or two a week, but now I can donate more. It wasn't the quantity that mattered, it was the fact that I was giving as much as I could at the time. If you can't give a lot, give what you can. Remember, it is the value of a dollar that matters. And if you give the dollar in the name of God, that dollar has more value than you could ever imagine. Thank you.